Welcome to the ThinkSpace podcast with myself, John Stoskowski and Danny Massaro. Our goal with this podcast is a simple one. We discuss and dissect a prescient topic, issue or theme that we think is interesting and might help us humans better understand why we think, feel and do what we do. If you'd like to engage in these types of conversations too, you can check out thinkspace.academy for a unique cohort-based course that will help you think critically and live authentically. Hope you enjoy the episode. Right, Danny, well-being or being well? I'll let you introduce a little bit more of where the origins of this come from but I think the trigger for it in one way was I commented to you a while ago how well-being was the new corporate buzzword as it were and everyone seems to be into well-being whether it's sport education business all these different fields there seems to be loads of well-being experts popping up people in roles that has well-being something or other in the job title well-being practitioners well-being services well-being programs it just seems to be everywhere and i looked at it and i thought what's going on here with this i did that you can do like the google trends um search where it'll show you like how common particular words are in literature and then just how common they are as search terms and well-being is basically like flatline for years and years and years and years going right back to like the 1800s and then in roughly around 2000 from that point onwards it just suddenly like ramps right up and well-being is just like everywhere it seems in literature and people are wanting to know about well-being so that just led us into what you started looking at on your phd which i'll let you talk about but it gets into it and you very much made that distinction between there's well-being but that isn't being well and that's an area of interest for us. And I'm sure lots of the stuff we're going to talk about today, I think we'll we'll end up dipping into little things we've covered on previous episodes because it all kind of comes into the mix around this thing of what is well-being? How does that differ from being well? So just a little definition that I got in terms of like your classic Wikipedia dictionary definition. Well-being refers to what is intrinsically valuable relative to someone So really it means what is good for the person or ultimately what is good for this person. So it's it's very much about the self-interest of the individual person and what is best for them. I think our job and what we've been trying to do lately is get people thinking around topics such as authenticity or what's a good life, what's a meaningful life and, and so on. So this one is uh, obviously pertinent because it's well-being. It's, you know, with, with the Heidegger stuff we've covered and the philosophy is all generally about we are human beings and what is it to be? The original Greeks, perhaps, was what was a good life? What, 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 how is it, how, what was, what we're doing here and how are we supposed to experience this thrownness? You know, we've been thrown into the world. How are we supposed to sort of, we live, we're born, we die. How are we supposed to, from the start to the end, generally get through it well? We don't obviously want to be suffering. Um, that's, you know, the, the thing about eternally you'd go to heaven and you don't, you know, and that's all great and well and you don't want to go to hell because that's, you know, doom and gloom and misery and pain. So obviously humans have an inherent interest in in living a good life, living a well well life. The, the, the recent terminology seems to be this concept of uh, well-being. So where people are struggling or not doing so well, and I noticed this in sport, when I started my study and just before it, you know, every day I went on the BBC News website uh, for sport or maybe picked a newspaper up or something, there was an athlete coming out saying, yeah, I won the gold medal, but I'm depressed. 
or oh I've got gambling issues and I, my life's hell and it's all right having money but this and that and then it was like oh I've got imposter syndrome or yeah I'm 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 struggling, you know, I'm, and it seemed to be a lot of famous people that had done well coming out and actually saying how many problems they'd had. You know, Victoria Pendleton, the cyclist, you know, yeah, I've won gold, but my dad doesn't love me type thing. And I've never got over it. And you, you don't be me. My life's miserable. And the next thing she's doing a TV show, trying to cheer up. And then the next thing you hear is that, you know, she's not, not so well again. And then I think after that, so all these stories were coming out. Agassi was another one, Andre Agassi's book, Open. There was uh, lots of books, Ronnie O'Sullivan in snooker. All sports had these, they got a bit like trendy to reveal your vulnerabilities and say, you might think my life's great, but. Um, And then, you know, we started to see, obviously, therapy and opportunities, you know, that old saying where there's tragedy, there's trade, you know, so would it would come into the language more and then people would like it's good to talk and it and it always has been good to talk i mean that's that goes without saying talk to your friends talk you know like get things off your chest sort of thing talk but it just suddenly became this it sort of became a bit more medical it became it, it was like there was a word depression which is you know you were depressed and clinically depressed and then in a sort of the middle there, then well-being came on as a bit of a like a bit of a lower level, you know, that I'm not feeling very well or, you know, and all of a sudden I think in companies because of litigation and I think perhaps responsibility and, and you have to make sure that you're looking after people nowadays in your health and safety or whatever. I think companies then started to think we're going to have a well-being department because people are not they're telling us they're not feeling well we need to kind of like make make sure we are helping them or at least look like we're helping them and cover our backs i wonder if it's an even more kind of like i don't know if it's sinister is the right word and he's the cynic in me i'm you know i'm to try and play devil's advocate with some of this stuff i did see something about the number of work days that were being lost in you know, your classic companies schools universities wherever there's employees basically right the number like you're talking millions and millions of work days being lost because people were going off with stress depression right anxiety and this this coincides with that rise in the well-being terminology more like the internet era the digital age and all that stuff coming in Yes. So the cynic in me kind of says, well, is this not just a little bit of another profit-driven motive where the company goes, hang on, we've got all these people going off here. We stuff we could do with this stopping because it's hitting us on the, the bottom line. And then that's maybe where a lot of this started coming in. Well, I think things emerge for many reasons, don't they? And obviously that's probably one of them as well. If you're a business person and you don't want your staff off and you can stop them being ill, I suppose that comes across as a, as a genuine altruistic win-win. We don't want you to get ill because we love you. And it helps us because you're not off. And that helps you because it'll give you more meaning and you'll feel like you're a proper worker, you know, and who do, you know, who wants to be off with stress? So it's, yeah. And I think this is it. So I think society and culturally things do sort of grow like fashion because, you know, and fashions do and so on. And things spread as well, you know, that if you hear your friends have got a well-being problem, then maybe you have as well uh, because you're you're a bit up and down. So I'm not, you can only use the language that you have at your disposal. And perhaps when this word, people weren't clinically depressed, but they, they were feeling what the existentialists might have said is the every, the, and Heidegger, that the everydayness, uh, the dullness sometimes of the everyday and the pressure of the everyday. And de Beauvoir saying that, you know, maybe the, the ambiguity uh, of life you know it's not the dream life after you've been a child 
that you might imagine. You 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 long to go back to being a child so you can just have the innocence of that. But as you get older, particularly late teens and into your twenties, thirties, life gets on top. <laughs> Maybe life's running out. But it, was, all, it hits you with all these things. Maybe we were if we were sold slightly too much that life is meant to be like a straight happy line. Maybe then we've just become a little bit more generationally. We we've been sold on the idea of of perhaps being constantly sort of you know happy and getting attention and switched on and you should be kind life should be good it should be always be pretty good not necessarily happy but you know meaningful good and on all, all those times you're stressed and things hit you and you're ill and all that maybe that's like oh i need a word for that we need a word for it uh, we can't study existentialism and, and go oh, oh that's what it is so maybe that well-being and not and having i've got a well-being problem or I'm, that that words come into the language because it just is the best word we've got to explain that existential everydayness, worrying, happy one minute. You know, that ambiguity of I love my job, I hate my job, I'm proud of myself, you know, I'm 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 not proud of myself. I'm I'm a slave to the company, but I'm a free person. I'm moving on in life, but in some ways I'm getting I'm stuck. Oh I'm I'm rich, but I'm but I'm poor, you know, in my emotions or you know, whatever. I don't know what it's so all all these things have just gone so much that well-being perhaps is is a, in a weird way a new word for the truth in a way of, of, of how life does evolve but i think what's happened is when these what's happened in the last three four years because it's so prevalent and like you say it's becoming to the literature so much and, and it's all around as a, as a just a, a word we all understand now of course then well-being experts get on the rise don't they well do we like you said word we all understand but do we I definitely agree it's a world we a word we all use. Yeah. But are we all understanding what we're saying when we're meaning it? Has it not just become one of those words that is so overused it just becomes meaningless? Yeah, we we, we all think we know what we're on about when we say oh, you know, like well being. Yeah. You know, because if we go back to that original definition I said at the start, what is good for the person? Well, every single person is entirely different. So their well being is never going to be your well being or my well being and but we use it as if we can just write this is the well being program for our company this is kind of what we'll do we've got these well-being services and we all think we know what they are but are they it's just like it's just a word we seem to you like productivity and, and like other buzzwords that you you kind of like engagement all these different words that we use that we think we know what they mean yeah there's no doubt about it that the word is just a word to, to simplify but it's such a complex problem what like to even define well-being and When I was looking at it and thinking about this podcast, something came back to me about this book I'd read um, about wicked problems, that well-being in a way is a wicked problem. And there was a a bit of research in 2016 by Bash et al. And they described it as a wicked problem. And wicked problems are seen as difficult to define and have no definitive or objective answers. It's, It's even hard to actually say what it is. So it, when I went back to my other book, <laughs> the uh, the book called uh, Wicked and Wise by Watkins and Wilbur, they said at the beginning that a wicked problem is something where there is no definitive formulation of the original problem. Uh, wicked problems with no endpoint where the problem is considered fixed. It's not possible to identify all the possible solutions to a wicked problem. You know, so this let's say the wicked problem here is well-being the word um wicked problems of no binary right or wrong solution only better or worse every solution is a one-shot operation 
that is usually probably slightly right and mainly wrong. There is no absolute test to measure the success of the solution. Every wiki problem is essentially a unique one. Every wiki problem can be considered to be a symptom of another problem, and wiki problems can be explained in many ways, and due to the consequence of each attempted solution, social planners can't be wrong. So, you know, wait for you. So let's put that into reality. You've got a well-being problem, John. I'm a yoga teacher. Come to my yoga for 10 weeks. It'll fix everything. It's good for your blood flow. It's good for your mind. You meet people. It'll get you out of the house. Da, 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 da. Now, that could be great for you. You could come along and go, I found the solution temporarily at least. I could, bring, I could ring my mate and he, and he just goes, it's just made everything worse. I feel like an absolute not myself. And Oh, so is the, is the yoga, is, is come to yoga every Thursday for well-being and coffee type morning thing, is that useless? No. To some people it is, and to some people it isn't. And this was a, this was the crux of my PhD. My PhD was a, a sort of a rejection of this how one should live well through a sporting life. You know, when I'd read all about these athletes and I'd been living in the life and knew how turbulent and up and down and left and right and oscillating and blah, blah, you know, usually influenced by winning and losing for me and, and my wife. But, but all sorts of other things can come in, you know, injuries, blah, 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 and every, everyone has their own background. And what it led me to was one, how might one live well through a sporting life? And for that research tool, I used existential phenomenology, which was basically what is the experience of the individual uh, but the individual being an existential person, you know, someone who lives through time, who knows they have a past and they know they have a future and everything that they're doing in the present is, is re-editing that potential future and re-editing that past. So we live through time. So phenomenology then, existential phenomenology, was, which was the core of a lot of original, you know, the psychological therapies of Carl Rogers and all these types of brilliant people. You know, these people really did investigate all this stuff and they knew what they were on about. So they would do a lot of talk therapy, a lot of digging and a lot of getting down to give people their individual time. That, so that that's looking at the well-being as a very personal, what I feel, what I go through in my particular life. And let's go from there. Now, I suppose that's just one way. There's other, there's, there's, there's like society issues as well. And there's actual society facilities as well. You know, we're all not going to feel well if we get our electric and power cut off, you know, and, and gas. But essentially, you know, those things are usually there in, in most of this these these places where people have well-being issues so essentially it's an internal it's an internal interpretation of one's experience that's always kind of going on and i got to the point of like proposing at the end of my study that being well type thing is is is, is, is always a constant question it's a constant it requires a constant taking part in one's every day you, you can be wiped out, like you, moods can overtake you, things can come in from left field, you know, you, good days, bad days. But what, what you eventually start to do is, is get that little bit of self-reliance on what makes me tick. Even to the point of if you're not feeling well, just stay with it. If you're ill, just be ill. If you're having a bad few months, kind of stay in it a bit and don't try and fix it straight away. Now, the other person might try and fix it. So it's this real self-understanding and self-reliance. The times that you are feeling well, it's important to cash in. So on the days that you're like, wow, feeling good today, they are the days you can just have fun and do what you want. But also they're the days that you can bolster yourself for the rainy day that's on its way. And that was sort of Heidegger's anticipatory resoluteness. That was about, you know, things are going to come your way. 
you know you're going to be down next week or in a month or at some point. You know you're going to get old. You know there's stuff coming. The flood's on its way. Build the ark. Now, when you're on your good days, it's much easier to kind of do that. And that will be like things like, you know, investing in yourself, get your health sorted, get fit. What makes me tick? Read things, ring your friends, get your house cleaned up. You know, whatever it is that makes you feel, you know, however silly it is or however minuscule it is in your world, you know, do the garden and clean your car on the good good day, you know, start a PhD, do some reading, make some music, listen to some music, all, all these little things that are there, what some of the philosophers call wonderment. Try and get that wonderment on the good days of, wow, what a world watch this game of sport and 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 be and, and have that like wow that's great don't just be bored and look for the result you know listen to some music and really let it get into you and don't just go listen to the music you know what watch a film and let it inspire you go and have a good night out go and talk to a friend go and learn a new skill and be you know and like really get excited by it and, and like geekily get into it for a bit or something like like look for that wonderment so i think well-being what i got was like it is going to be up and down but on the good days you've got to cash in to help the obviously incoming floods of the bad of the bad times a bit like the psychologically rich life episode we did didn't we where it's like yeah get out of your comfort zone like be curious all that stuff but does there not come a point and this is where i think i'm thinking well-being is maybe an issue as the focus where you can do loads of that stuff but at the fundamental level if your life's still a bit shit and what i mean is like i'm thinking because a lot of this is in like corporate lingo isn't it if you're doing a job so i'm thinking of i don't know if we mentioned it on here before but a guy called david graber wrote a really good book called bullshit jobs and that coincidentally aligns with when well-being became more of a popular word you know the advent of the office job where you kind of sat eight nine hours a day you're not really doing anything that has any real point beyond the job so you're just moving stuff around on a spreadsheet pestering people with emails meetings constant meetings all that stuff but you kind of sense and you know deep down that there's no real meaning to it if there's no real point to the job it's just a kind of invention in the, the society we're in to keep people busy and kind of give you the illusion that you're doing something in a way now if that's your your core existence if you're spending 40 50 hours a week doing that you can have all the wonderment and stuff you want around the edges but fundamentally at your core you're still sat there going this is shit i hate my job i, I kind of got this deep nagging feeling that this is not what i should be doing and that's where you're getting these well-being gurus swooping in to kind of tinker around the edges where fundamentally you'd be better just getting rid of the job and doing something else which is a much bigger existential shift isn't it than i'm gonna like get into the wonderment and i'm gonna read this and i'm gonna do that brilliant do it but fundamentally, at your core, are you being authentic, all that stuff? Does your life have meaning and all that stuff? That's largely going to come from what you're doing most of the time, which is most people's jobs, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's first, it's, it's, it, you break that up into into stages and levels in a way. Some people are have enough self-awareness that they know they're operating in bad faith. You know, they know that they're like, they know what they're up to in terms of the job, but they need to feed the kids and that's, for 10 years, that's what I have to do. And in that job, what they then particularly do as a skill is go, literally, this job's worst job I've ever done, but it's a means to an end. I don't even think about it anymore. So it, as a coping mechanism, they actually don't stress about it. But that's a self-aware person who's like actually overall plotted and conditioning. I hear that a lot. I hear a lot of justifications for why people don't change the circumstances because of sort of higher values. I'm not so sure that's always true. I'm not sure, sure that what would help more 
in some situations, if there was, if it's, it's start the wheels in motion to start turning your life in a different direction, which plenty of people get to do. There are people who do have what we would think are mundane jobs, and for forty years just can just love it. It's so simple. I go in, I sit at my desk, I eat biscuits or whatever I talk, and they're just like in their in their interpretation of it, they just love it. Now. The stereotypical view of that is, you know, you live in a box, you're driving a box, you look in a box, you work in a box, you know, or you're you're basically you're a hamster at the mercy of, you know, the mighty capitalist controller, and you don't even know that you're in a trap. Ha! Ah, you're miserable, and sort that out, you'll be better. But I think it's more complex than that. I think it's like people, some people aren't are, are blissfully unaware. And it helps. They're blissfully unaware of the deep ways in which we might analyse things. And in some ways, that's a coping mechanism. Some people have awareness and it's the awareness that does them in. But then it's the awareness, the same awareness that frees them into other good things. I, I, I'm, I'm, for te- me, for example, I'm re- I know I'm really tetchy and prickly about autonomy and my time right and so it, it it freaks me out to be you know that's just that's where i am at the moment in where i am and actually because of my circumstances i can afford to be autonomous and i can and i've set it up and you might say oh set the wheels in motion but then you know i've had a lot of lucky things happen and things go my way and i, I have been in control but it's also been lucky and out of control um, and it could easily change so for me all i can all you can do is, is manage your own predicament all the time take part in your own stick you know what's going on and also without that you can only do it at the level of awareness or or intelligence or foresight or reflection or self you know self-reliance how self-reliant you feel and i also think john that there are certain areas of your life where you feel like you can do that and control it really well. So you might be like brilliant in your career, in your job and have it nailed. But you might have another area like a relationship with with somebody or your social skills or you might have like uh, someone who really struggles with modern technology and useless with it. And it just scares them like they're on the edge of a cliff. But when it comes to maybe bringing up kids... They're like solid. Whereas I could be like, oh, whoa, flipping out, I've got a baby, what shit, what do I do? Oh, I don't know. But I'm brilliant in my career, in, in dealing with technology. So I think well-being and, and, and things like that is is really multifaceted in like what area of your life it's it's around, what level of awareness you have, what opportunities do you actually have, uh, you know, in, in the in your real circumstances. And I also think what we're talking about today as well, John, is What's the current mode of society you're in and the media and all the stuff going on around you, like the news? Because that infiltrates us all the time. And I think that's what we're sort of saying. It's hard not to feel, to think about your well-being nowadays because it's on every single show ever, isn't it? And every, every, every person, like John Lennon must have had a well-being problem. Elvis, Bobby Moore, but he never went on about it. They probably they talked about Buddhism or leadership. You know, they have different words. So why would you almost like fashionable? Like it's on your mind. It's in the it's in the ether. It's in the social sort of thing. So 
it's, it's natural that you would all catch it in a way. It's a bit chicken and egg as well, though, isn't it? So, but you know, I'm not for a minute denying that people throughout the ages have had depression and all these kind of what I probably call it's, it's weird how well being's almost like disconnected itself from mental health in a way, hasn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's like a weird distinction these days that it's like seen as separate, but it's like, well, how is it? That's been as talked about as it like genuine, like what they might call mental health issue, you know, psycho like psychotherapeutic needs and and I'm, I'm depressed but that's what we're in now which i don't think when john lennon and you know we're saying as examples we live in an age of anxiety don't we but basically it's like the slightest thing oh, i've got anxiety i'm depressed it, it's easy to come to the tongue now it's in the lexicon isn't it that we use those words and well-being seems to have been co-opted into them i mean would you ever imagine the song imagine if everything was brilliant you know kind of thing i'm not you know in society like what Kierkegaard would have said and and and, and Schopenhauer on another level but being anxious and being sort of insecure and, and scared and down and then up that's your default human state you know like, oh my god I'm alive shit what do I do with this like all the time running like a little frequency in the back of your head whereas that that because we've gone so clinical in a way and so like we can't I can't talk about the stuff we do on our podcast to most people they just think you're absolutely bonkers the very people are very much like at the surface of their lives like living it you know in it it's it's no wonder that you know with the obvious ups and downs you know human condition of being anxious a lot and angst that when when they feel that like hit them in the face like a ball coming up you've been pushing a ball underwater and then you let go and bang it smacks you in the face it's no wonder people feel stunned and a bit shocked because it's like what's that angst nervousness fear loneliness insignificance no attention addictions needing this if i don't get too many likes at this then i must be irrelevant or they didn't ring me back on time and oh i went to a restaurant and they didn't have that food i wanted it's a disaster and all these things they smack you in the face if you believe if you, if you don't understand that the default position of, of being alive is isn't it's not amazing really in many ways but in many ways it can be that's where i think well-being is the issue or it's an issue for me so all those things all those emotions and reactions and visceral experiences that people are having to modern life i think they're perfectly natural normal reactions to the world we're living in and the environment that we're living in yeah and this is where well-being it's like chicken and egg isn't it but i think well-being for me it's very much it's treating the symptoms of an environment where people one thing with the word well-being is it it, it is binary isn't it so you mentioned that with the hard problem earlier it's binary because it seems to be well either you're well or you're not and if you're not well you're unwell well we clearly know there's more shades of gray in between there than that but people are clearly seeing that people aren't doing that well so now we've got this growing field of well-being but that's just focusing on the symptoms so whether it's depression anxiety all these feelings that people are having to the environment they're in well-being and the well-being industry is just treating those symptoms they're not doing anything to get at the court well actually yeah why are we feeling like this why is anxiety why do i feel so anxious all the time and that's when then you do dig into things like i'm just using jobs as the example from previously we are doing stuff that we really in quite contemporary times we've never done before mm. where we're living inside constantly uh, the bioenergetics episode we did all that body comes first stuff yeah 
Well, your body most of the time these days is not in a, an environment it's used to, and it should it should be in. So all these some these reactions are genuine human reactions to the environment that you're in. Now, the quote that you often see, which I quite like, is supposedly lies you do Krishnamurti, but I've done some digging into it. And it's not actually him; it was just attributed to him. But a lot of people have heard that quote where he said, or he was said to have said, "It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society." And that, for me, is a little bit the well-being stuff it's like yeah why would you want to feel well in the kind of environment that you're in and stuff it's the environment that's the issue it's not you you're just reacting perfectly naturally to the circumstances you find yourself in whereas the well-being kind of gurus and people are jumping in on that and they're treating the person rather than the environment you're always just going to be an organism in an environment that is acting on you you can't separate the two it's acting on you and you're acting on it well if your environment is shit you're gonna feel shit no i agree i mean it's like yeah when i'm ill and not feeling so good because of the environment or whatever, I've caught a disease or I've, you know, I've not been eating well. I don't know. It, you, it might not be my fault. It's just there. Now, if I go, then there's medicine available and I have some medicine, I feel better because the environment of my body, it's like, and, and, and actually having chemists where there's a society that has that, then, you know, I might make me feel better. So that's like a simple example. Now, that's not meaning that you're right in a way, like when people aren't very well, like and this is, this is the state of being a human. It's not always your fault it's the environment you're in and that that sometimes is the the people who've built and designed the environment but sometimes it's just the environment it's like either i'm just in the world that fundamentally a human worrying machine you know he's gonna worry a rock doesn't and a tree doesn't and a dog doesn't really know like you said in the other episode the only time an animal knows it's gonna die or anything bad when it's actually dies so it's so there's no you know we're very so just being a human, that there's an environment you're in that's just like, well, you've just got to deal with it. It's not easy being alive. And then there's the next thing of, well, I'm in a modern throne society of, you know, 10-hour days work, you know, get loads of money, have the car, you know, all that type of century self stuff, get all your wants that you need, identify with all your products, identify with your status, ident- you know, all that ego stuff. So there's that where you're like, well, that might not necessarily make you well, but it could do. See, the thing is with that, with the environments, usually, unless the environment's absolutely awful, there are people that thrive and there are people that survive in whatever, you know, in the same environment. It's like down to them. Some people love a bit of chaos and they come to the forefront in, in those times. Some people just melt, which I see a lot in sports. But essentially, you, you, it is you acting on, it is your well-being is something you're, you're in control of to a point, but to another point, you're, you're not because there are forces acting on you that you always think that you're bypassing, but you're not necessarily. But in terms of, let's say, I don't know, let's use football as an example football academies there are well-being experts and roles and positions in football academies now and and obviously the the key part of their role is the well-being of the the kids and the athletes in those settings and you know we've seen it with all different spots like cycling gymnastics is one recently haven't we so that's like oh now we're all about the well-being of the athlete but no matter which way you cut it a lot of those environments it's not a good environment for people to flourish a lot of the time when you look at what you have to put your body through physically clearly there's like huge psychological well it's a hierarchy environment for a start you're all pretending you're free yeah and then just throw like the media 
all the, the kind of imagery around it, all just sport as an industry now. Yeah. The fact you're in a football academy for one, you are essentially a commodity. You know, when it comes down to it, you are a commodity for the business yeah. of the sport. Now I know there's good people in there and that they're about the people, but still that's the environment you're in. You are a commodity that can be bought and sold, let go, like kept all that upgraded, whatever. So it is the well being stuff. It's just trying to help you deal with an environment you shouldn't really be in, Pat. Well I I this is this is again back to my study in sport, how one might live well through a sporting life. So inherently if the first thing is is in sport, winning and losing, power. I'm the best. No, I'm not. Right. And the aim is to win a, a professional sport I'm talking about. You know, it's it's about generally that. That's the aim of competitive professional sport. Um otherwise just recreation, play, freestyle, you know, be Mark Leclerc, go climbing, just set your own agenda, just go, you know, surfing, skateboarding. And you know, there's, there's more than one philosophy to why you do play sport. And you could even I don't think you'd get very far trying to be professional comp- competition if you uh, didn't have at some point in your life the drive to want to defeat opponents. And there's a lot of people come out now and they're trying to flip that, you know, all these well-being sports people. They're like, no, play, play for purpose, play to, to, to offer entertainment, play for the artistry, play. And you're like, yeah, cool, you know, I get that. But that might be a luxury afforded to the actual talented, most talented who would win anyway, even on a bad day. You know, like you see that with Ronnie O'Sullivan in snooker, he's like, oh, I don't care anymore. What makes me tick is just, I've, I've battled and battled. I'm definitely the best of all time. So now I can chill and decide to play when I want to play with whatever level of uh, philosophy I want to play the game for. And then they had the other player last week who was who was kicking off at that attitude, who does the commentary now, Sean Murphy. And he was saying, nah, Terrible Ronnie's saying that. Snooker's so important to everybody and it is competitive and you should prepare. And now that's that's Sean's current version and he's into that. But Ronnie can af- Ronnie O'Sullivan can afford to take the more I don't know, maybe this the quarterback guy has got a bit of that who's just come back. Oh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. So he comes back, he might, you know, he's playing he can, you can afford to play for a different philosophy. So I've seen a lot of these these well being people now going into academies and going into all these people saying just play for the love. Just play. You're not an athlete. You're a person. Well, we, they're all true. But the bottom line is, if you're in a if you're in a competitive sport, what I found is winning and losing affects your sort of state of well being as much as anything does. Too much winning uh, can be a bit weird. Too much losing definitely can put you down. So where you can get this kind of balance, you know, tends to be like keeps you generally all okay. Some people can't deal with losing one thing tony mccoy the race jockey i think he can't even he can't think of losing one race even though he's the best jockey of all time so he was a bit weird with that but that was him so i think i think that like for me in sport the environment of of professional sport has to be taken into account first and why would you even expect to feel well all the time or have have well-being in that environment you've put yourself in. You know, Andre Agassi's book, it was good because it was very raw, right? So he got a lot of plaudits because it was a bit like, oh my God, I can't believe someone said it. And he was like the first in his book, Open. But at the end of the day, he was moaning about, be, you know, 
being a swimmer and getting wet. He was complaining about his dad. He was complaining about all these things, all of that. But it was like the next chapter, he was like, oh, but it's amazing. Well, it was a good book because it revealed that he was never really well, but he never really moaned about not being well. It was like, you want to be a pro tennis player? Think twice. This is what it's like. Well, it was for me. But he never sort of, he blamed a little bit, but he just kind of said, that's how it is. And I had some good people that stood by me through thick and thin, I was an idiot at times. Sometimes I felt powerful. Sometimes I felt insignificant. Sometimes I loved the game. Mostly I hated the game. Then I loved it again. And to me, that that's like a bit more of a phenomenology. That that's how it actually is. If if you're if you're deluded to think that any environment, any utopian type place is going to make you feel like well all the time without you taking part in it, you know. There's an argument to say that why would you want why would you want to just be floating and happy constantly? What you know, you do learn. I know it's a cheesy thing, but you do if you you do learn and it humbles you and it and it, it does help your meaning sometimes when you brought down a peg or two, not hopefully not too far, with tragedy and absurd illnesses and events and so on. But when you've been forced on the back foot and you've had tragedy and you've had upsetting and you've had to really go through some hard times in yourself is a, a strange thing because it's something you would never ask for. You'd never put it on people and you actually have to go through it. But in some ways, you know, there is a there is a philosophy of don't deprive, don't deprive people of the struggle. And I think the well-being people are coming in a lot of the time and they're almost like they mean well. But if they're not careful, they create issues that aren't there and they deprive people of small opportunities to actually kind of toughen up and learn learn things because they've had to go through something. That's a bit like that good enough mother theory, isn't it, that we talked about on our course. Donald Winnicott, the British psychoanalysis from about 1962, I think so, saying that when you're bringing up children in the stages of the life, because maturing and understanding the world is stages of development and this constant unfolding of stages and like becoming it's this process of well-being and being okay, you need room off your parents to, to for the true self to emerge in all those bits. If you are a perfect mother or a perfect father, and you you know you you create you, you almost tell them how to behave in every situation, how to not get hurt, and how to do this and do this. Obviously, that's a natural instinct to try and do that. You don't want your kids being hurt. But if you can just be good enough and not perfect, you don't create a false self in that kid because you've planted your agenda on them. You give them room for an emergent, perhaps what you might call a true self to, to come up. Now, that true self might be better equipped to deal with all the all the jungle of life, you know, all the all the bads, the goods, bits, the gaps, the, the weirdness of life rather than maybe someone who's been brought up as a, like, every time there's a bit of an issue, no, 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 be, be great, be gratitude, cheer up, cheer up, life's too short, you know, go do some yoga, oh, we'll get you a psychotherapist, we'll get you to a nutritionist, we'll, you know, so the, the art is knowing that line, isn't it? You, if, you, if a kid's really upset and ill, deal with it before it goes off on one, but if it's just an issue at school, like, you know, they've been getting picked on a little bit, you know, don't go flying into the headmaster and, you know, when mistress and say, I want to get this kid. So we're not, I'm, we're not offering any solutions to, to sort of well-being here. But what I am suggesting is be very careful when you start calling yourself a well-being expert or even the topic in the first place is a topic. It, it might not even be a thing in the first place. <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't know if you use LinkedIn or not. I have a thing on that. I don't really use it. I, I find it like painful when I go on there and you just see. And it's it's this kind of stuff. So you know, you mentioned Agassi in his book, and it was a brilliant book, wasn't it? Because he kind of talked openly about. He talks about you know how brutal his dad was with him and all that stuff, and how he used to make him practice and all that. And it it was it was like an eye opener, wasn't it? Like bloody hell, he's been honest, and he's like, yeah. I think people really identified with that and thought, brilliant, he's been authentic. He'd taken drugs when he was down. He got let. Yeah, all that kind of openness of just putting it out there and going i'm not going to try and impression manage this book out i'm just going to tell you what's and all this is what it was like and people that resonates but now it's gone the opposite where everyone just overshares so if you look on like linkedin it's like the trend is putting out there how you know you've been struggling with your well-being and blah blah and it's like oh this and like i'm just it's good to talk and all that which it is i genuinely think i'm seeing people now impression managing pretending that they're being open so they're just inventing issues and like they're making mountains out of molehills to get the likes and the clicks and no one really calls it out because it's like a, an, it's an untouchable subject isn't it you can't go near mental health and you know like you can't be like criticizing people so no one really calls it out so you've got this world of like inauthentic false selfness yeah and it's fueled a little bit by well-being because that's the trend it's like the bandwagon you can get on both as like you can make money out of it as a practitioner and a, but also like you can make social capital out of it if you admit to struggling with your well-being and all that stuff well you you cover that a lot on the course don't you the, the signaling as well you're signaling in a way now that well, if that's what people have i've got it which means i'm real you know if it's trendy to say your vulnerabilities rather than just talking to your friends privately and keeping everything you know what i mean and genuinely working through those things i mean you could say some people it does make in the modern world you you could say is the signaling and getting attention that fixes them whether that's sustainable or not fine but that might be them managing their world if you're kim kardashian you're always going to get sympathy so why not use it i suppose if you can get on tv whenever you want then it makes you feel better because you're famous tv or release a new song if you if you're a great artist like just bang out another album and do another tour you know like it doesn't really it's the individual person making you tick but I think that signaling thing, like we were saying the other day, but controversial again, and it's not said, but it's like that Movember thing, isn't it? People going around going, I'm growing a moustache for cancer awareness. It's like, yeah, but just, just put a tenner a month into cancer research. Don't, don't grow a moustache. You basically always wanted to grow a moustache, most of you. You're using it as an excuse and you're signaling when people say, so oh, I'm, I'm like people don't nowadays know what cancer is. Now, if if they went then and raised a little 20 grand through it, you're like flipping go for it you know like but what i see a lot of people is they do it on a surface like indicator level just to make themselves feel like they're fitting in or that they're doing good that's the um society of the spectacle isn't it that guy debar stuff that stephen west did a good podcast on i'd recommend that to be but it's worth listening but he he's using that philosopher to say it's like it's about the spectacle now it's not about what you actually do it's about what spectacle that then creates so yeah it's not about giving to charity it's about giving to charity and then looking like you give to charity right and i think the well-being i mean there was a guy i saw recently i think it went because people just started ripping him because it was so blatantly like 
you know, just signaling stuff. I think he was an employer and he he was literally filming himself crying to camera that he'd posted on LinkedIn, you know, that he was so devastated. I think he'd only if he'd had to let some employees go or something and he'd just done it wrong. Was it a Starbucks thing? I don't know if it was Starbucks, but he was like literally crying on camera and it's like whoever would start crying and then get the phone and go, I'll tell you what, I'll film this and I'm going to stick this on LinkedIn. And he was, obviously was thinking, I mean, it could have been parody. If it was parody, it was genius, but I think it was real. And he was trying to make out that, you know, he's got flaws and he got it wrong and it was his mistake and he's gutted and he's trying to show that, you know. And it's like, it's just this like, what game are people playing here with all these different little things around? And and I do think, you know, at the core of it, it is a bit of a crisis of meaning, which is a lot of the thread that runs through a lot of our stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Are they just, they've never looked at it close so they're, they're constantly just looking for something to grab to as the next thing to kind of explain why they're just not feeling quite right when really it's down to like you know how meaningful is is what you're doing you know how authentic do you feel you're being in you living your life as you want to live it even if you got the car the house the job the clothes the jewelry the watches it, it doesn't matter what level of society you're at does it whether you're a billionaire or you're like on the street people have still got these same inherent human instinctual feelings around what am i doing with my life what's going on yeah and well-being is kind of a little bit of a sticking plaster to put on that some of that stuff rather than just going right let's friggin get into some of this then yeah what is the meaning of what is it about which is what we try and do with the philosophers and stuff that for me is what well-being would be more about which is more aligned with being well all right you're a human being here you were thrown onto this world what we're going to do now that's being well isn't it a human being Dasein as Heidegger called it what's that like for you as a being in the world well-being is the other end of that it's sticking plaster going oh yeah you've got all these natural human yes. thoughts and feelings and you're struggling a bit yeah. well, let's throw some well-being at you y- yeah so it's, it's shallow quick fix type looks good because the employer can go yeah we've got this and we do that and if you come and work for us you get oh this is part of your package and blah 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 and it looks brilliant and what what's interesting in that book i mentioned earlier is called wicked and wise and i suppose we've talked a lot about the difference between wisdom and knowledge and perhaps this isn't being highbrow or snobbish but perhaps if you've just jumped onto well-being you might use the word but if you've just jumped onto it and it's a business opportunity and you you've done a bit of you know an nlp course which can be useful or you've done a little therapy course and you get a job in it because you've got good organizational skills also you've read a book you know on how to build a business you know all the books and you've signed up to coaching courses where you've this is how you build a business and you know and you spot a spot a bit of tragedy or a gap in the market then suppose you, you can you go in there and you're a bit of a shallow you're shallow you're not you haven't been done 20 30 years in psychotherapy Jordan Peterson is criticised a lot for his quick snips and, you know, like, clean your room, you know, look under your bed, make sure, you know, and if you want to feel better, sort that pile of papers out, you know, that you've been avoiding because it's a metaphor for cleaning up your life. You know, very, very practically oriented things that people have helped, have liked. Some people have killed him for it. But what you can't deny about the man is if you go and watch his lectures and you hear about his psychotherapeutics, he's a psychotherapist and his practice and his reading that he's read, you cannot deny that that man is, is wise and knowledgeable, you know, not as knowledgeable and, and has become wise, been able to chuck out bits of wisdom and has helped people and probably not help people because he got so big, playing the odds, you're always going to unhelp some people because they're going to get fanatic or 
they're going to take what you said the wrong way. But generally, the guy's deep. He's a deep guy. And he'd, if I could have a chat with him for an hour, I'm sure I would come away enlightened. Whereas some of the people I know now that are doing well-being jobs or psycho- sports psychologists that have opened up well-being branches for coaching's well-being now and athlete well-being and parent well-being and all of this, it's just literally popped up because it's like, oh, you like McDonald's change which burger they're, they're selling this month. <laughs> So there's so this is this you know this is like we, we, who really understands it and, and accepts it's a, a complex wicked problem that's like like the philosophers did about existence and, and life and Camus you know the absurdity of life and and you know and, and Sisyphus and you you know what a struggle it is to push your boulder up and down every day and you've got to find your own way through it. And try and be happy. It's not about being depressed and going, oh God, all that philosophy and existential people are depressive. It's just about actually accepting that as a real part of life so that then you can go, okay, so what are we going to do then? So, well, when it's good, let's let's have it good. And when it's inevitably not so good, ride it out as best as I can. Whereas it's not a fix. There's no solutions. I mean, I do I do some of my talks with people now, and you have to change depending on the, on the, the audience and the culture. But when I talk to people now, in the first five minutes, I pre- I get it right out there. I have no solutions. I have no solutions apart from getting them to think. So they're in the wrong person if if they think that I'm you know it's going to be a, a, like coming to a chemist or something. As I just need you to think, and that could be the last thing you want to do. So if you don't want to talk, ring me back in a month. But if you do want to think a bit and try, then we can may- maybe we'll get on. What, I, what I've had reported around that is that over a six-month to a year period, people feel better more days than they feel bad. But I haven't gone on there originally to make them better. I've gone on there to talk to them as, as people and open up possibilities about how they might think about what they're going through. Not, And it's often, John, it's better that I don't know their actual issues in a way so they can go back in on them. Sometimes they tell me, but I, I sometimes don't know. And I think one thing I learned when I, when I actually did study NLP in a way years ago, remember this thing that not to turn, try never to turn a process into a thing. And it's called a nominalization. A de- a, you denominalize something. It's, I think that was the word. So when you say someone's got a cold, they haven't got a cold. In a weird way, they're colding. They're going through an experience of something coming into the body and they're having symptoms and da da da, and they're managing it and it's it's there. When you go, you've got a cold. It's like a bit more like, Ugh, fix it. Give me some benalin. Ugh. You know, I've got this thing. Get rid of it. And that could be useful in certain circumstances because it's solution you know you know you might say that to a kid oh you've hurt, you got you hurt your knee ah put plaster on it done go out again you know boom boom so it's it's useful that but when it comes to more serious things like well-being or wellness or living or being a being is a process it's an ongoing evolving strange strange weird unfolding process your life as soon as you go oh i know it's well-being if you've got a well-being problem like you're turning it into like a fixed thing that can just be solved and it's like no there's no solution it's a process it'll never stop it's the same as being an athlete there's no there's no over the rainbow ever and that was something i've a quote i liked to you i was rereading some of your thesis this morning one of the quotes there you've got time is being i had never considered this until considering heidegger's assertion that dasein is forever building its past by what it aims at in its future and it is that, isn't it? I think a lot of the well-being is it's here and now, right? We need to make you well here in this kind of role or in this 
context or in this circumstance and there isn't any past or future it's just like oh you you got a cold basically like you've just said there you're not well yeah because the opposite of well-being has to be like you're unwell you've got an issue let's fix it well here's this 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 and this and you can do this this and that and there isn't any of that being through time which surely is a core part of being well the fact that you have to live through time i was watching the crown last night and there was a bit on you know the new series and it was saying that um about grief and the duke says to this lady who lost a five-year-old he said oh i lost a sister and grief to me was like it lives with you forever in your cells yeah. with you all the time what i all you do is learn to live with it and, and try and find new things so he, he did uh horse red horse things you know cart thing or whatever he got into where the horse pulls them along six horses and he said to this lady oh you should try it. it's fun and, and what he did he didn't try and solve her problem and say oh i know what you're going through he just said this is what i went through and now it's still it's still an ongoing process 50 years later for me have you watched Stutch yet? No, I haven't, no. Well, there's a brilliant, exactly like that. There's a brilliant, but see, it's Jonah Hill and he's, I guess he'd call himself a psychotherapist. Mm. And you find out as it goes along, I won't spoil it for you too much, but they both lost a brother, basically, right. when they were younger. And Jonah's asked, because he's a lot older, this, this he's in his 70s, I think, by this point, and he's asking him, oh, you know, get easier. And, and he just, like, brutally just goes, like, no. He's like, you'll have that for the rest of your life. Just mm. brutal. Like, and you could see yeah. Jonah Hill's like, Pfft. But he's just like, yeah, he's like, yeah, there's these tools that I can get you to live with it more as you get older and it'll like, but it's always going to be there. You're never going to lose that. Whereas I think maybe from a well-being point of view, the temptation is to kind of dampen stuff down, isn't it? And like, you know, like, oh yeah, don't be feeling that. We don't want you feeling anxious. So we're going to do this. And don't you be feeling, yes. but it's like, no, that's what you're going to feel. And he was like, just brutal with him. He's like, yeah, you'll feel that forever. As long as you're alive, you'll feel that. But that's what living is through time, isn't it? <laughs> well, like the, the, the gambling addicts and the, the, the alcoholic, they, they just say, I'm 16.32 days sober. It's like, I haven't got rid of it. It's with me. I have to deal with it every day. You know, it's not automatic. I don't get fixed. I've got to keep fixing myself every day and then taking part in not drinking or not gambling. And I think when you tie in a little bit of neuroscience, if you take a bit of a science way of it and you you go on a bit like oh, the, all the brain really is and evolutionarily we just make predictions, they're hiding a quote about we are always building our futures. We are, sorry, we are always building our pasts, you know, and our experience, our meaning of our lives by what we do in our future. When your future is a little bit exciting or you look forward to tiny little things, oh, I've got a chocolate bar, oh, I've got a Christmas cake, you know, we're going to crack it open early, you know, we'll have a cup of tea later and there's another Netflix drama. You, your old day goes, whoa, right, yeah. It's, it's nothing. It's it's like Christmas is coming or a bit of cake and we'll have the fire or we're going to have the first fire. And these are the little things in every day that, that like, you know, make you, you make your brain anticipate the future in a, in a, in a it's going to be okay. Now, when you're ill and you, and, and you've, your back's broke and you, you can't see how the future is going to be even better in an hour or never mind, it gets really hard to not feel well. And there isn't a lot that's going to actually fix that. If, if you, but if, if you go and see a chiropractor, and he clacks your back and suddenly you can dance and your back problem's gone suddenly you're like hey and, and the whole of your future outlook changes so your brain's making all these new predictions based on that tiny bit of progress you make so every little bit of good news every little time you notice a, a new sunset or a bit of a, a you know a autumn coming or every time you, you have a bad round of golf and hit two good shots on the trot you go oh well may, maybe oh. and i think that's the ongoing chaos and the ongoing strangeness of what it is to the, the brain all the brain wants to do is 
is pretty good stuff. So if you just watch a bit too much news, you get a little bit ill, you're feeling, think the world's going to end and you, no one's rung you up. And there's nothing to look forward to. Everything starts to go grey and black and your past even starts to be re-edited as a bit of a fake or a bit gloomy and what have I ever done and I never fulfilled my potential. Or da, da, da. But as soon as you start doing well and, oh, my business is growing, Oh, me and my wife are getting on well. Oh, my daughter's rung me up a few times. Oh, I'm playing. Oh, I've got to beat that. As soon as you feel progress or, 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 you know, food, new films, things to look forward to, it's very, that's what Heidegger meant. Your past suddenly doesn't feel as heavy and bad. It actually, you pick out the, you remember the good things. So you authentically relate with your past as what Heidegger said as retrieval. You start retrieving from your past elements that you were really good about because you're relating to your future more authentically, which is anticipation rather than waiting for your future. So Heidegger's version of of, 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 of being authentically and feeling a bit better about your past and your future is that, yeah, you retrieve from your past and you anticipate the future. And that type, no matter what you go through, it's a bit better. But he didn't say you can be in that state all the time. Sometimes you just feel like you're in purgatory and you feel like your past is heavy and it's a burden and it's and it weighs on you. So Heidegger just said that you you're being in the world and that you look at your past in an authentic way and say right all the good things and you retrieve it and it's not as heavy or the future you anticipate it uh, and then the present becomes a lot more buoyant rather than feeling stuck. So again, he said you can't be in that state all the time, but you, you can keep trying to take part in it through things like you know self awareness and trying to create conditions that for you uh, in your everyday everyday life what he called everydayness um, that make you tick basically so you have this responsibility to kind of look after yourself in some ways but also that don't don't be too hard on yourself about that because we are thrown into the world and we're given certain things and certain situations we can do nothing about last point for me on that that ties into what you're saying about heidegger through time i think a big thing that i see through this whole well-being movement is this obsession with tracking and monitoring and optimizing so whether it's your calories your number of steps how well you've slept that night all these really objective measurements which i think even a lot of companies are starting using with their staff where you know they're really monitoring their their heart rate and even stuff like that under the illusion or the guise of we care about their well-being we're monitoring them but i don't think that helps you you be well because like you were mentioning a little bit earlier about you know those feelings oh you feel like a little bit of excitement or you've got something to look forward to and all that if you've now outsourced that to your app and you're thinking do i feel well today or do i feel tired i'm not sure but because my app's telling me that i had this and i did that and you know my heart rate's doing this but i actually feel all right today i feel quite good i feel quite energetic people are losing touch with actually how it feels to feel well even though they're massively more conscious about well-being and i think a big part of it is this digitalization and this optimization culture of you almost become a product yourself like a project that you're working on to improve like you're a machine basically but you're not you're a data and you're a being in the world yeah it's a brilliant point that, that book you told me to read when the machine stops by em forster written in 1909 just got to that didn't it that was brilliant just just about how if you become too rational too machine too scientific overly you know like in most things or you could go to the other way non-science and blah 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 to your detriment but yeah if you start out if you start looking 
you can't you've lost touch with yourself and your own feelings and how you feel you, it's very difficult when you're outsourcing um, that wisdom to a computer number um, oh my god i'm feeling good i've done twelve thousand steps yeah, but how did you do the steps I can get, I can, like when I do my little court sprint exercises, it takes me like, I do six sets of a minute on with, with 30 seconds off, say, the number I get varies, but that sorts me out. It's only six minutes work, but it's my little thing and I do them in a certain rhythm and it's the rhythm of how I do them that helps me because I can do them. Now, if you chuck me on a bike for 20, I might hate it and feel like, ugh, 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 that was fun. Your computer can't know everything about your phenomenology. It can, it doesn't know about your lived experience and the feelings and the relationship you have with you with that moment. And that's what I was saying at the end of the study as well. That this wonderment, you know, I get professional sports people and they just cannot see the beauty anymore in what they do. They, you know, they've lost that. Oh, a new pair of football boots. You know, a new kit. Oh, the smell of the turf. Or oh, an opposition to play and try and win. Oh, could, could win, could lose. Oh. Tack- that joy, that, that, you know, they see a squash court still, it's like, oh, squash court, yeah, big deal. Oh, so what, there's a crowd watching. It's not a topic you can nail down, pin down. I don't think we're going around going, this is how to how to be well or not to be well. When I did my study, it was to go how one might live well, not how you should live well or how to. And I think the moment that with a wicked problem like this or a concept you know, of a made-up thing. I think you've got to be very careful you don't turn it into an input-output model, dead simple, that can be sold. And I think you've always got to remember that it's something that's highly, highly personal and the individual has to play a role in helping themselves with it. But there are things that go on sometimes that just are too much and you just can't feel well. And it's bloody hard. It's just, you just can't, there's nothing you can do. You can take all the advice, you just can't get out of it. And then out of nowhere, perhaps like life, sometimes it just gets a bit better and then it gets and then it might go bang, really better. And you can't believe that you were in that that place. That's how I see it. It's, it's, it's how it might go um, rather than how to. Right, go and watch stuff. That'll give you a buzz. I bet you're buzzing off it. Right, I will. <laughs>